Welcome to Diverse Tech Leaders, where we jump into the fray and empower organizations on how to recruit diverse tech talent. I'm your host, Kristen Lamoureux. As you know, in Diverse Tech Leaders, we have three categories of shows for you, for your team, for your organization and community. Today's episode featuring Misty Burmeister is for your organization and community. But in truth, there's a lot in here for you as well. Hey there, crew. I am so damn excited about this episode. I cannot even express it. Because with us today is Misty Burmeister. And who is that, you ask? Misty and I connected when a tech leader in DC introduced us back in 2017, I think it was. And it has been a mad fun dash ever since. Misty has presented at Sim Women webinars, and she and I have total plans for world domination. She is an incredible coach, has a powerful TED Talk titled The Purpose of Pain, Using Rage to Heal. And let me tell you, have tissues nearby that you will absolutely feel its effect when you finish watching it. She's also an author of four books, including Provoking Greatness, which was a Washington Post bestseller. And I know she's working on her fifth, so we will be talking about that. But truly, her strength, her candor, her fearlessness to dive into challenges is core to what makes her awesome. So get ready, peeps. Here we go. Thank you, Misty, for being with us today. Uh, it's a joy. I'm so excited. You're such a fun person to hang out with. Oh, you know what? Life is too short to be boring, isn't it? it? Yes, it is. And it's a joy to be f- with you. Yeah. Uh, thank Always, you so every much. time I see and talk to you. You know what? Uh, I think when two really candid people get together, it's like, look out, fireworks. Uh, and hey, happy pride. Happy Pride, yes, June, here we are. You know, it's interesting, real quickly, Kristen, on June 1, I got this text message from a friend of mine that said, happy Pride with all these, all the colors of the hearts, right? And I was like, there's my straight friends letting me know that it's Pride Month. (laughs) (laughs) I think I try to forget it most of the time. I don't want to think about the differences. I I focus instead, try to figure out, I think it's our... Our straight allies are the ones that make the gay movement powerful for all of us. So, all right, hang on one quick second, because you just said something that we, we all over all this time have not talked about. So let's just do this right now for the courtesy of the crew. So you just said you try not to think about pride because you don't like to think of it as an, of being other. Yeah, you know, sometimes the difference can cause, for me at least, fear, like I don't fit in, like I might lose an opportunity, like, you know, that sort of different feeling is comfortable. It's much more comfortable to feel like you're a part of, and really being a part of is an inside job and not an outside job, but the reminders can sometimes for me trigger or activate that feeling of disconnection. So I, I, don't, I didn't know this until literally this morning as I was talking to my wife about it. I think subconsciously, I don't want to remember or think about the fact that I'm different. 
I've literally lost opportunities and gained opportunities because somebody knew I was gay. I'm with you on that to a point. So again, I've founded and run Sim Women for 14 years now, and I have run into every walk of life. And I've had women say to me, I don't participate in women's groups because I'm a CIO. And that is a genderless title, which is a line that I use frequently. But my response back is, it's not about you. It is about being an example that others can emulate. That women coming up through the ranks who are saying, damn it, there is no one I feel I can go to, to reality check with, to ask to mentor me, to help cultivate me. And if you take the, I did it myself, you do it yourself, like, is that how you parent? God help your kids. You know, like, so for me, (laughs) I get, you know, when somebody said to me, oh, are you going to have that chick meeting? And I was like, oh, oh, love, it's time to have some education. Um, But I get it that when certain things can make you feel separate. But at the same time, there are those among us who need to feel safe and they need community to do that. That's why I created Sim Women. And that's why the 17-year-old who's afraid to come out needs to know that they're not alone. And that's like you and I were talking this morning about, you know, now we have mental health month, you know, we're not calling that out to say you're different. We're calling that out to say you're here, you exist and we should celebrate it. I mean, that's my take. What are your thoughts? I love it. And I, I, this is the reason why I'm so grateful to my straight friends who remind me to let me know it's Pride Month. <laughs> it's not usually my gay friends that do that, just to be clear. It's my straight friends that do that. And I'm grateful to them because to celebrate is important. And that's what Pride Month is about, being proud of our difference. God, if we were all the same, how boring would oh that Oh my be? God. You know, this morning, you know, on the note that you just said, I was listening to a a podcast, Brene Brown was interviewing a woman whose name I'm forgetting right now, it'll come back to me, but in the podcast, she was talking about how she felt, how she struggles with depression. Mm -hmm. And I just did a video a couple of days ago, happy to share it with you in the show notes, where I literally was in in the throes of a depressive day. Mm -hmm. And I struggled myself with depression and hate it because it's so stigmatized. And I think though, for me, the more I share about it, the less alone I feel in it. Mm-hmm. So I talk about it um, now a lot more than I ever have. And in that video, I, I did that. And when she, that woman that I mentioned in the podcast with Brene Brown, when she talked about it, I was like, oh my God, she's so successful and she's done so many great things and, mm-hmm. and she struggles too, then I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. We're, we're all struggling in this thing together. And that is the truth. Like, there's a, a quote that many people have in their email signatures, which again, you know what? I'm cool. If you do that, that's fine. That's your thing. Rock with it. But it talks about be kind to everybody because you don't know what they're battling. You know, not everybody is like you and I, and we're like, Hey, 
<clears throat> we're out here. How you doing? You know, I too have struggled with depression. My 17 to 20 sketchy years for me, you know, like it, it was, it was hard. So it is something where we need to talk about it because all of us are experiencing it and high pandemic, AKA shit show for many that just layered on weight on everybody's shoulders. And it is a burden to carry. And when you're struggling to stand on your own two feet anyway, it's taken people to their knees. And we need to be open to talk about it. And when we can acknowledge, when we can understand we're not alone, we have community, we can have that little extra space to breathe. We have that little extra, maybe somebody will help me with this weight that is on me and that I'm carrying. And because when we share the load, lighter for everyone, we're better, you know? All right, we are just getting crazy deep here. This isn't exactly where I was going, but you know what? Neurodiversity, mental health, <clears throat> it all matters. And it's all critical for organizations to know, be aware of. Um, there was a fantastic catalyst white paper that talks about emotional tax and how they interviewed, uh, again, hundreds of people, all different walks of life, and some of the survey questions put to them were, do you expect to be discriminated against today? And the number one group was Latina women. Over 45% walk out of their door and expect to be discriminated against. And that emotional tax invades their workplace, their interactions with neighbors, friends, like family, everything. So employers need to be thinking of their employees' mental health. This, this brings up such a great topic, Kristen, and I've done some work now with some companies on allyship and how do you help people who are from marginalized groups to excel. And I think this is where the word privilege is so incredibly important to understand because most people who hear the word white privilege who are white, they react to that. And they usually react to that with, um, including one of the guys who was on my recent panel, a white guy, with, I worked hard to get to where I'm at, you know, some version of that. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, of course, they worked hard to get to where they are. But as he eventually said, he had the opportunity to work hard and not everybody has that opportunity. So I think it's so incredibly important to dissect that word privilege mm -hmm. and to therefore go and ask ourselves, what, our, what are our privileges? And when we can do that, then we start to get some awareness around other people's maybe less privilege. Like I'm, what are some of my privileges? I'm educated. That's a privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, I am incredibly articulate. That's a privilege. I'm an athlete. That's a privilege. These are the things that give me voice. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at somebody who's a, there was somebody on, on one of my panels recently who was a um, Latino executive inside of a company. And she said, my privilege is that I'm an executive. So I can help all these other people because of that. So she was looking at her privileges, even though 
you know, in this world of, of white privilege, we're not thinking about that. So we have to look right. bigger at this word. Yeah, I'm with you. I can, by the nature of being white, drive pretty much anywhere and not fear getting pulled over. Uh, I can, you know, interact with police and not have suspicion be a visceral reaction on their part. Even if I'm out walking in a protest, you know, I, it is something where just the nature of my skin, you know, dictates where I can live. You know, there's a whole bunch of freedoms that we don't think about it. It's unconscious. And that's where, again, we're talking about unconscious biases. Like They're real. So even if you haven't thought of it, even if you're not conscious to it, doesn't mean it's not real. And I think the defense mechanism that so many white people feel is the thing that we need to pause. So Viktor Frankl talks about in Man's Pursuit of Meaning that the space between the question and the answer, you have space there to pause and to think and reflect before speaking. And if we can, if somebody is asked about their white privilege, if they can pause and not go defensive of, you know, I've worked hard for what I've done. I've worked hard for a lot of things too. I didn't work hard for my skin color. That was gifted to me by my parents. So just acknowledge that. Acknowledge what advantages. And, and that's a word I've been using in lieu of and in tandem with, at times, privilege, I have advantages that other people of color do not. And just acknowledge it. I think some people, what I hear over and over again is, now what? All right, fine, I acknowledge it, but now what? Now, now what, what do you want me to do about that? And I love, I love that question because it, it clearly, that means that there's something there that you want to be a part of, but you don't know what to actually do. And I wanna offer just the idea because uh, a lot, I've had this question a lot. And j just to even start to get to know people who are less privileged than you are, or more marginalized than you are, is the beginning of continuing to learn. There's nothing more that you need to do than to continue to increase your awareness and your understanding of people from differences and what are some of their struggles and just to be willing to listen and to hear is so healing. So in, when somebody shares about what it's like to grow up in their skin, they've just privileged you with the mm -hmm. opportunity to understand and to learn and to connect with them. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's through our connections. We do so much more together than we do alone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think the the art of listening has been lost. Well, it's terribly difficult because when we start to listen, we our brains actually tell us, like this is literally a chemical reaction at the base of our brain, this little area called the amygdala. And Michael Bungay Stainer talks about this in his book, The Coaching Habit, where he refers to it as the answer monster, right? But at the end of the day, our brain is telling us to fix that, fix that, fix that, especially if we're not tapped into the emotions that are uncomfortable inside of us. To watch you be uncomfortable is too uncomfortable for me. 
So if you've not dealt with any of your own discomfort, if you've not been with yourself in a space of discomfort, sort of like that book in the background that you have, you can't give what you don't have, you can't offer to somebody else an honest ear, a listening space, if you haven't offered that to yourself. So it discomforts too much and you distract yourself from it. Or you don't, or you just, I'm so sorry, and try to fix it, um, which is, I think, probably the worst thing anybody has ever tried to do in my presence is try to fix anything I'm struggling with, but to just bear witness to it, to hold a space for it, to have true empathy, to feel with me rather than to feel sorry for, right? These are really powerful distinctions. And I don't think that they're easy or, or an overnight process. I get myself, I study this constantly, man. Growth is so much an importance that happening, whether we like it or not. I study it constantly. And still, I was watching myself, a good friend of mine who's in Germany, her, her father died and he's here in, 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 in Virginia and she can't come. Mm. And you know, the first thing I did was I tried to make it better. And then I heard myself. Like I tried to tell her, well, good news is, the good news is, the good news is. And I was like, dang, you know, I finally paused and I said, you know, I am so sorry. That really sucks. And I just held the space for that. But, you know, even for me who studies it all the time, I want to, I want to give you the answer. I want to solve your problem because right. it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. So I don't know if you've uh, seen Chris Voss's masterclass on negotiation and he no. too <clears throat> talks about the amygdala and how if you want to light it up like a Christmas tree, use the question why, because that in and of itself creates not only a, a quid pro quo, but a it, a defensive mechanism of why did you do that? Why are you thinking? Why? So instead he says, go with how and what, and, and it doesn't light up like a Christmas tree. And again, it's literally, as you say, physically chemicals in your brain reacting to the words that people are using at you with you, toward you. And so, yeah, I too, I'm a solver. I freely admit I get in. I'm like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? But how can I help is different from when I catch myself going into declarative mode and saying, all right, so now that I'm solving the problems of your life. Let's go. You need to do this and do this. No, no. Like you said, in particular surrounding loss, to be able to just say, I am so sorry and I am with you. And it, the pandemic has impacted all of us. All of us know somebody who has passed away or lost a family member or close friends. And, you know, I did a LinkedIn post like six months ago of, oh my goodness, how many funerals am I going to have to go to when we can all gather again? You know, it's still very much a question in my mind. So, all of us need to give that space, whether we are learning about ourselves, learning about people that look different from us, learning that people who live different lives from us, but just giving that space for letting people be themselves, being empathetic, trying to understand and listen to how they may be feeling um, it's incredibly powerful. And when you and I both know, when people feel listened to, 
it's such a gift. And that's that foundation of trust. So whether that's friends, an executive coach and a, and a client, whether it's employers and their employees, that's, you know, what we're all trying to do here is build trust, build way to work with each other most effectively, be inclusive, be human first, right? And so do you realize that we have been talking all this time? And yes, I said you were a coach, but we haven't gotten to talk about your personal journey on how you became the coach and author that you are. Do you want to jump into that a bit? Yeah, I'd love to. I'll take you back to early in my life. I grew up in an environment in which we moved literally every, I'm going to say every nine to 15 months. And um, I didn't grow up around any family. It was just my parents and my three siblings. And I grew up in a lot of addiction and um, trauma, basically. And in that environment, I, I feel like I'm, I'm always looking for the gifts, Kristen. In that environment, I became incredibly good at becoming aware of what causes safety, what is safe and what is not safe. That environment was, was great training for that for me. Uh, prepared me. And it also, because we moved so much, I didn't have a sense of community, you know, usually in an environment where if, if a child grows up in a lot of trauma and things like that, a church will save you, the school will save you, something will save the kid, but we moved constantly. So I didn't have community. And so as a result, my passion and interest around watching companies create communities where people can thrive is grounded in that sort of that lack of what I had because I got a chance again to study it what not having it is like and what that causes and then what having it is because I've had some miracles I was um, in high school I went to a brand new high school and Mr. Weiser was my my principal at this school and I because of this man I graduated high school and I went on and sports sort of saved my life sports again that community aspect of we know what we're trying to achieve and what matters and how we kind of come together around that so this man who changed my life and saved my life in many ways I studied him I studied him the whole time what was he doing what was he not doing that caused him to be effective at pulling out my potential which is another reason why provoking greatness came into being because there are specific skills and talents and ways i want to say like tools that you can use that that really cause people to want to, to to trust you enough to step into their potential in your presence because it's scary to share our gifts with the world it's the things that we care so much about if I'm going to share my gifts with you, I'm sharing with you something that I really care about. I want you to like me. So if we can create a safe space for that to come out, man, companies and teams just take off. And the collaboration and the innovation and the engagement and the opportunities for growth are incredibly powerful. So that's a little bit of my journey and how I started. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, one of the things that between your books and your coaching it you have such a great focus on both the forest and the trees that big picture of here's where we want to get to what you know working toward but that it's encouraging every organization to see their individuals 
And we're coming into a time where the blanket statements that companies are making of, okay, we're all going back to work. Everybody individually is going, oh shit, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that it's safe. I don't know. And I literally just yesterday had a CIO of a huge global company when I said to him, okay, so you're interviewing. So what's your uh, COVID protocols? Um, Are you demanding people being vaccinated? Are you not? He did the monkey, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil sign on the Zoom. And I'm like, okay, that's not a company policy, Um, dude. (laughs) You know, so how do we, what advice would you have for organizations or even, you know, whether it's companies or even just, you know, communities transitioning back into in-person gatherings how do we balance that you know corporate everybody yet individually everybody's got their own thing yeah I think it's such a great question and I want to start with my greatest fear uh with it and that is that we're just gonna say boom figure it out just go back in there and and and, and mix it in. Oh, by the way, here's some rules. This is, what we're, <clears throat> this is what we're doing. This is what we're not doing. Figure it out. And I think that that is the recipe for disaster and for exhaustion. Uh, if you want to exhaust your team and trying to figure out what decision to make or not make, or how do I fit into this new thing? And oh my God, I have vaccine, but you don't have vaccine. Uh, you want a recipe for disaster in your company. You know, just tell everybody, these are the rules and here you go. No, I think right now is a great time for uh, and a critically important time for for conversations around what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's a a very important time for uh, for companies and leaders to begin asking better questions. We I want to say this and let it hang in the air for just a moment. People support the thing that they help to create. People support the thing that they help to create. It is true in my work with the Navy. I'm gonna give us a real quick little example here. This, the Navy, this is years ago now, really was struggling with retaining junior officers. They asked me to come in and talk to them about how I might be able to help. I had a piece of paper and a pen. I wrote down all the ideas that I was hearing them say. For an hour, I just listened. And by the way, there were two other big time companies um, that also came in for this opportunity and I won. And the reason why I won the contract and they said it to me was because I listened. So I didn't come in there and tell them, you need to do this and this, this is your cost. This is what it's going to cost you to work. I just listened. And I said, well, this is what I ultimately said. Your ideas are remarkable. I couldn't have come up with those, that list myself. Um, But if you just implement this, it'll fail. And they said, what do you mean? (laughs) People support the thing they help to create. So we went all around the country and we engaged thousands and upon thousands of sailors in a conversation. What does the Navy need to do to retain you? Notice we didn't just engage the junior officers. We engaged all the sailors across different a variety of um, positions and so forth. And as a result, one of the things that they, I got to be a part of there, which by the way, nine months later, they flipped that turnover to retaining too many. You don't want to retain too many, you don't want to lose too many. Nine months later, 
And why is that? Because people support the thing they help to create. So if you have an initiative, and one of the initiatives right now is how do we get back together in person again? We have to create a dialogue where we know what what are the potential options? What are people afraid of? Nobody wants to talk about what they're afraid of. We just want to ignore this stuff because that's uncomfortable. So having a conversation around what are people afraid of? What can we do about that? What would be the most comfortable for the most people? And then letting them set with that and coming back and trying out different things and coming back again and trying out more different things. Right now is a time, an incredible time in the world for innovation, for creativity, for creativity. But if we don't feel safe because we can't have a conversation about what we're scared about, we can't be innovative. We can't be creative. We need these safe spaces for people to feel like they can share. And as a result, my gosh, the level of engagement and the level of commitment to the craft, to the company, to the organization will rise. But not if you're not willing to engage in in critical conversations or I call them crucial conversations, right? This is one of them right now. What are we going to do? How are we going to come back together? What's going to work? And by the way, I'm scared too, as a leader, you know, imperfection creates connection. I'm not a perfect person on the top of this totem pole. I'm human too. And I'm concerned that I'm not going to get this right either, man, the connection that creates. And so that's my biggest concern is that we're not going to have these conversations. And my greatest offering is to put out some questions and ask them, what are you concerned about? What are you excited about? What are your suggestions in terms of how we come back together? And then crowd share it. Let everybody hear what everybody else is saying. So it's not just one person making a decision for everybody else. At the end of the day, some decisions have to be made. But when everybody has a chance to have their voice heard, oh my gosh, the level of trust and safety increases and therefore so so will your innovation, your creativity, the collaboration, the, all the things, growth, um, profitability, all of the things that we want increase as a result of that. Safety and trust are critical. Conversations create that. Absolutely, they do. I will also on the flip side say, don't ask the question if you're not going to listen and act upon it. Mm. Right. So because you asked me, I gave you my feedback. And if there's no back and forth, it's just ghosting. Not cool. Now I'm really disenfranchised. (laughs) But if I truly do have the opportunity to be heard, even when my wants and desires aren't able to be acted upon, if I'm heard, then I am better. I can recognize and acknowledge if it's communicated out of, hey, we would love to be able to give each individual within our 43,000 employees the opportunity to decide what's for them and dictate that to the company. Okay, that doesn't quite work, but we are doing this. So we're offering that. But if your organization has a culture and a history of pure top down, don't ask if you're not going to receive that input and then at least communicate back once on it. I think what you're saying is so important and it's something I teach a lot about. So I just offer it right now in this conversation. I find it to be so valuable. The art of listening involves a couple of different components. One is actually hearing what they have to say, but the other component is knowing that they heard, that that they, they know what you heard, right? And so if you ask the question, whatever question it is, are you afraid to come back into the office? 
Um, they say, yeah, I'm afraid because of my daughter has asthma. And if I end up with this thing and then I could put her at risk and, and then you just listen and you say nothing else, they don't know that you got it. Right. So this is where you go. So what I'm hearing you say is, did I get it? And is there anything more I need to know? Key practice. This is exactly what I did with the Navy that had me land that contract. So what I'm hearing you say is, and then repeat back, don't parrot, don't parrot them, but repeat back as best you can. What paraphrase basically what it is you heard. And what makes sense about what you're saying is this, it makes sense that you want to, you know, that you're concerned for your child. So people feel heard. What I'm hearing you say is this, did I get it? And is there anything more I need to know until there's no more? Right. And then once there's no more, now they know that you got it all. And that's, that's the beauty of, I think, facilitating a conversation in a group setting where everybody has a chance to go, My, I feel that way too. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Now I know because Christy said it. Now I know that that's true for me too. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that too. Well, how can we safeguard against that? Well, here are some ideas. So what I'm hearing you say is that you guys think that these ideas would work the best. Yeah. Well, if we give it a try, how long do you think we should do that for? Well, why don't we give it five, four weeks? See how it goes. Yep. All right, you guys, we're on board. Four, four weeks, we're going to give this a try. What are the outcomes we're looking for? We're looking for a sense of comfort, a sense of um, that we're able to get our jobs done, those types of things. And so we're looking at what are the results of what we've, we're testing out, but we have to be willing to test right now because there's so many unknowns. And frankly, we're, we're going to screw it up. So let's get into it with some humor around that because we're going to screw it up. We're going to go, oh, I forgot my mask. Mm -hmm. We're going to go, oh, I forgot. I wasn't supposed to hug you. God knows I'm going to hug right. somebody. Right, me too. <laughs> I'm a hugger as well. Oh my God. Yeah. We're all going to make mistakes. We do. Yeah. Every day we do. So nobody's going to have a smooth, this is going to be great and we're not going to have any exceptions. You know, one of the, the things that for me is equity. And I don't know, I'll put it in the show notes. There is a fabulous picture of three people trying to look over a fence and watch a baseball game. One person's really tall and they can see over the fence just standing on the ground. And another person needs a box, a crate to stand on to see over the fence. And then the third person, bless their heart, like five, two. You know, so they got two crates in order to be able to see over the fence. And yes, we treated each person differently based on their needs, but we were shooting for equity. Everybody gets to see the baseball game. So powerful. And that's how we have to approach this too. My own husband is high risk. I haven't taken an in-person meeting since March 10th of last year. You know, like, it is what it is. And it, yeah, yeah. Now we're all vaccinated. My son just got his first dose. Like we're, we're doing what we can to try to protect our family, but I'm still going to have protocols in place to protect my family as will every single employee and whether they choose not to get vaccinated. Cause that's the country we live in. Peace out. You do you, but individually, we have to take everything into consideration and address where we can so that from an equity standpoint, we're all engaged. We understand where we're at, we're what we're working toward as an organization, as a team. And we're all a part of that discussion and, and decision-making process. I, you're so right on that. I've seen it in action. We had a client who was downsizing 30% of their staff. 
And they went to the IT team and said, we have to downsize by 30%. How should we do this? They didn't sit in a corner and put names on a list and get rid of people. They went to the team and said, how do we do this? And the team used demand planning tactics on project managers and business analysts and said, hey, when we do this project, you know, the, the project manager, you're, you're doing this, but the business analyst, you really just do this first part and then you kind of just along for the ride. So let's give you a new project. And so instead of having an ebb, you're flowing the whole time. Yeah, we're, you know, it's not 60 hours a week, but they're very productive 40 hours now that, you, you know, you didn't have before, but they were able to, through demand planning, through the, as a team, decide what made sense and eliminating some future hires so that all of them were going to have to shoulder a little extra burden for a period of time. They got rid of two people. And those two people raised their hands. That's beautiful. You are exactly right, Misty. People support the thing that they helped to create. At the end of the day, somebody has to kind of make the decision. This is what we're going to do based right. on everybody's ideas. And so we're going to move forward and we're going to do it this way. Well, as a leader, you know, you could really screw that up. And so it's a great opportunity right now to showcase your humanity and connect more. Again, how do you do that as you say to your team, you know, I don't want to screw this up either. I want to get this right. I don't have all the answers. The, the humility and the vulnerability in that causes so much trust to build. And it also leaves you as a leader without feeling like you've got to do it all by yourself. And you've got to project perfect. Like you've got to project that you've got this whole thing worked out. The truth is, is we all know you don't got this all worked out right. because nobody's got this worked out. Not even the experts have this worked out, right? You can't call any expert on this topic and have them give you the answer to this situation of coming back together in person. You can't, there is no answer. What you can hear though, is that you're gonna have to get a little bit humble. You're gonna have to get a little bit vulnerable. You're gonna have to admit that you don't know and be willing to test out and to admit your own discomfort. I think even when leaders are willing to say, man, I'm uncomfortable, this mm -hmm. makes me uncomfortable. They just gave everybody else permission to feel their own discomfort. That willingness and to, to, to share your imperfections right now is the time to practice because nobody's going to expect you to get it right. Nobody's, right. nobody's expecting you to have the answer. So why not just go, you know, freaking don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to tell you like a personal experience I'm having with a total lack of communication. Now the company is going through a lot of change and challenge right now. Um, but, and they, their founder uh, just died. And so they are transferring over to a new person and the company got sold like all at the same time. And, but the truth is like, we have no idea what's happening. It's been months and months and months. Like, is Yvette going to have to go back into the office for one day a week, two days a week, uh, all of the days of the week? Can we move? Because frankly, I'd like to move. I'd like to live a, some other place. I would like to move. Is that okay? Can, so we can't 
go on with the plans of our own lives because we're waiting and we don't even know what we're waiting for. Like when's the next communication going to come out? Super frustrating. Now her company is remarkable in lots of ways. They're just clearly going through a lot of challenge and they don't know how to communicate given the loss of the CEO, but it's frustrating. So that puts that lack of communication, that lack of willingness to even say, I don't know yet. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. We're doing renovations in the office. Our intention is to get back full, uh, full time. Right. We have no idea when or how that's going to happen. Like even just to communicate what you don't know causes a level of peace inside that is remarkable. So and the same thing is true as you're as you're thinking about coming back together in the office and or you're thinking about your diversity, equity and inclusion program and how you're going to have that create more growth for your company. It's all the same. Are you communicating what you're trying to achieve? Are you willing to, 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 to get it wrong? Are you are you willing to say, I don't know what the hell I'm doing? I've been the CEO. I'm a white dude. Um, thought that you know, I worked hard to get here, didn't realize just how privileged I am. I'd like to hear more from you guys. What can you tell me, help me understand, man, the humility in that, that just, and the vulnerability again, creates connection, which has people want to work harder. They want to, they care about you more as a leader. And, um, that's a rampage for you there, Kristen. Uh, I love that rampage. And in truth, the, top leader inside of sim is a white gentleman and when george floyd was murdered it was literally days after and he reached out and said Kristen, you have a really strong diverse network i need to start connecting with people who don't look like me and i need to listen to them and he went on a listening tour and was no lie in tears on a video call with members from ITSMF and said, now that I've done this listening tour, I feel like I have crossed this chasm of ignorance and the world on the other side is so colorful and beautiful. And I want this for our SIM members as well. I will fall on my sword for this guy because he didn't know what he was walking into but he took an action and said, I don't know, I don't know, uh, help. And that right there, it is human nature to want to respond positively to a request for help. So use the word. You're trying to fix DE&I, I need some help. That's a fantastic starting point right there. Uh, and it does, as you say, create a greater human bond. As a recruiter, I am fortunate to be in a position to place IT leaders at all levels and every single client without fail in the last 14 months has said, I need somebody who is humble. I need somebody who will nurture our team because we're all operating at a natural stress level of seven. And if I hire a taskmaster, get it done person, they will break. <laughs> I need a nurture. Wow, that's really powerful. It I is fantastic. It's fantastic. And it's uncomfortable as hell. Most people who are listening in on this go, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, most of the women, I mean, that you're listening to you, but people who are, well, I'll just say most people in general who might listen to this might say, I don't know how to do that. We do know how to do that. It's our we do. thing. We do yes. know how to do that. We've just got these 
we've got these layers of masks that stop us from just doing what we naturally do. And so becoming aware of those allows us to be more naturally who we are and very nurturing. But then there's also the question I think is very valid of how the hell am I supposed to do that and my job? Dude, it's your job to do that. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Look, I'm with you, Kristen. That's the question though. I, I, I just had, you know, what? I'll share this email with you. I just had a leader respond to me with, um, I asked him how things are going with him and his allyship. I did a presentation for his company and um, I asked him how things were going. And he said, some of the folks that I'm building relationships with are analytics and in their first year with the firm. So I want to help them grow and I want to be an ally, yet there are some specific work that needs to be done. And when issues arise, I need to maintain the role of manager, which can occasionally involve some direct constructive feedback, which is not always received well and can make me worry that I'm no longer being an ally. I feel like this is a part of the tension. We have work that we need to get done. How am I supposed to be a supportive person but also make sure that work gets done. And I think it's, it's a confusion that actually the more that we put into helping people to succeed, it's a, there's, a, there's a difference between, I, I just wrote a post about this, between this, great job, go for it and do the job, do the work. So I'm gonna distinguish them again. There's a difference between you've got this and go do that. And, so I was running around the uh, Baltimore Harbor, which I'm about ready to do again. Um, and there was this gentleman who I'd been trailing for a couple of miles and he was all of a sudden just stopped about 20 feet in front of me and pulls out his phone and starts messaging. And I was like, come on, man, you've got this. And you know, just as quick as I said that he picked up his phone and he, and he put down his phone, he picked up his feet and he kept running. And then I did this little circle back and I saw him again. He said, thank you so much. I really wanted to finish off strong. And I thought to myself, that is the attitude to take when you're talking about helping people to grow. You've got this. So we've got to be focused on what are they trying to achieve, what matters to them and supporting them and achieving that versus get this done and let me be your ally to get there. There's a very important distinction there. Do you get it? I'm right there with you and still hold the line of if you have communicated the story and again storytelling is in our form if you have communicated the story the narrative of here's what we got to do here's what we have to deliver here's what we have to accomplish in order for our organization to a survive b thrive whatever situation the pandemic has created for you then the what you know holding somebody accountable is understood because we're all in it together. We're all working toward this. We're all, we all understand because we've all communicated where we're at. And as you and I talked about at the beginning of this, and let's be clear, I didn't out you to the world. I, you and I had spoken you know, about that before we recorded that I could say happy pride. But my saying to you, hey, We've all got this. We've got to get rock and rolling and holding you accountable for doing your work has nothing to do with your skin color or who you sleep with. It is about the work. And it's, as you, you were talking about masks, I talk about lenses. 
what lens are we looking at this situation through? So, hey, if I have to have a crucial conversation with somebody that's a person of color, it damn well better be about the work, you know, and keep it about the data-driven decision-making, keep it about the work. Here's the evidence. Here's where we're at. But if I come in hard ass, why aren't you doing your work? Again, why question creating a defensive response? If I come in and say, what is going on? How are you? How can we help you? You may find an awesome employee that has gone to crap because of things at home, too much pressures, la la la, somebody just died and you had no idea. It's that back to that art of the question. And you can pause before you launch at somebody and say, how should I approach this? Okay. Hey, we're having some challenges. You're an awesome person. Your work performance has dropped off. What's going on? And stop talking and give them the space to share. That's a nurturer. You're still holding them accountable. You're, it, it, yes, but you're not task mastering. And to your point, you're not declaring and execute, go execute this. Here's my thought. You go execute it. You're saying, no, no, you've got ideas. You bring them to me. I think they're awesome. You go do that. Happy team engagement. I think what you're saying is very powerful. I would use a distinction this to, to just put a distinction to what you're saying is there's a difference between <clears throat> looking at the person as a problem and looking at the problem with the person. So I'm going to say it again. We're not looking at the person as the problem, but we're looking at the problem with the person. And there's a really big difference between sitting across from somebody and looking at the problem, because you're really looking at them at the problem, versus sitting next to them with the problem in front of you and looking at the problem that way. And also going from this idea that we need to tell them how to fix their themselves because they're the problem. Um, and instead, like you mentioned, I think it's powerful is to ask better questions. What's not working? What matters to you? Why are you trying to do it this way? What's not, you know, the why piece, mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, I do want to say this about that why versus how versus what. I think the way that you, that you just demonstrated that is extremely powerful and useful. Sometimes what we tend to do is think that we're just going to use the how and the what to make sure that we can still get our point across and do it the right way without the right intention. So it has everything to do with our intentions because our what and our hows are going to come across the same way as our whys if we don't have the right intention, mm -hmm. which is really seeking to understand what's getting in that person's way versus making sure that they know how to, uh, that, they're, that they're a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? Totally agree. Yeah. I just did a post on LinkedIn of a, CIO telling me the story of she was sitting with her CEO and the CEO, they were talking about DEI and CEOs leaning in and looking at her. And, you know, I want you to be able to bring your whole self to work. <laughs> and she's like, no, we have a good culture that yeah, I do feel, you know, I think the team is good. We're all very authentic. And the CEO was relentless and like, you know, you can tell me anything. We're like family. And 
the CIO is like, man, I want to tell her about this budget overrun we're going to be having. But mm, she said, I, I felt compelled to go, well, I can tell you uh, as a lesbian, we have a great work culture. I, I feel very comfortable. Thank you. You know, and the CEO, like they won a trivia game show, said, I knew it. Now, demanding somebody out themselves for your what? Checkbox list, scorecard, DE&I numbers you got a report out on and you needed it officially. Like the intention behind the conversation matters. And the CIO took it as just a, a clumsy attempt to build a stronger connection. That's really generous. That was very graceful. Yes, that was, we got to give grace, but that was a lot of grace to give yeah. that CEO. Yes. You know, but again, learning opportunity for that CEO. You know, I love the idea that the, the best principle, I, uh, you mentioned earlier in that conversation, you talked about how it's easy for us to go to people and think that they're just jerks, but at the end of the day, everybody really is doing the best they can. And maybe you never know what they're going to, what they just came through or what they're going through in every situation, especially this one. I love this, this one where this guy's clearly um, needing some coaching. (laughs) (laughs) They need to hire Misty. Yeah. Just saying clearly might need a little bit of coaching but to the grace that she gave him because at the end of the day that was his best you know and so can we see that this is their best and I think about I've had a a tremendous amount of uh, training around the best principle in everyday life people do and say things which are just like are you serious and then I find myself with that same thing going did I just say that yep that was my best so your fifth book ah my, my name is Nosy. Do you want to give a 60 second outline and we'll include it in the show notes? I'll do it really quickly. I don't have 60 seconds down yet, but I will. I promise I'll make it super short. I was on the Appalachian Trail in 2019. It was my very first time ever back country. And the only reason why I went is because I was really struggling with my sense of worth. I was struggling with family and a lot of loss. And I kept reading people had gone and done and walked the Camino in Spain. And I was like, I need to go do that. And you bet my wife's like, how about you go back country in your own country first? <laughs> so I did. And so we went back country and we did, which is where you literally put 40 pounds on your back and you hike into the backwoods and you set up camp and you eat what you're carrying and you get water from the stream, etc. And um, we went back country twice. And then on the third time I went solo, which was terrifying, terrifying. I would think so. Yeah. My feet never felt so heavy in my life to get myself to keep walking. Anyway, on my ninth night, I met this guy named Skinny. That's his trail name. Trail names are given to you by people that you've gone on the trail with. They find something quirky or something beautiful about you and they offer you a trail name. Um, a couple of things, trail name, you have a trail, uh, you have trail magic, which is where you give people, you know, usually food or something that they need that mm-hmm. they weren't expecting. Tramley is another important one to remember. Tramley is people that you've hiked with a good distance. And uh, so Skinny and his two other guys uh, were there. And I was just super curious, like, why does everybody in the backcountry seem to be eating honey buns? 
And he's like, well, because the calories, we need them, yada, yada. And then I asked the next question. And then I asked the next question. And, and then I asked the next question. Finally, Skinny stops and he goes, Misty, do you have a trail name yet? Now, this guy seems really nice. Got a kind heart. He's also a writer, just a really good, good dude. Very down to earth. And I said, no, I've, I've only been nine nights. I don't, I haven't really met that many people yet. No, I don't have a trail name. And he goes, I got your trail name. I said, what's that? And he goes, nosy <laughs> and i was like oh. like and his guy his guys are there and his guys are like um how about like curiosity yeah. or curiosity? Goes, no nah she's nosy um and i was like oh. i said i tell you what i'll think about it overnight let you know tomorrow morning got a lot of really negative names growing up don't need anymore <laughs> and so at five o'clock boom i wake up i'm like i don't want this name go up to see him he's putting together his coffee and i said thank you but no and he said listen almost like a mentor would say to a, you know, mm -hmm. to a mentor. He said, listen, do you think I want to be called skinny? <laughs> and I go, oh, no, do you? And he proceeded to tell me that the year before he came onto the Appalachian Trail, he had spent that whole year eating 8,000 calories a day <gasps> and lifting for two to four hours a day. He goes, and so end of the day, this guy is six foot six and he was 160 pounds. He goes, End of that year, Misty, I was 160 pounds. He goes, I'm just skinny. And I was like, all right, because you're just nosy. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna kick you in the shins, dude. That's much like, in the throat. Like, so I walk away and in Yvette, my wife, she joins me that morning and um, they're going to leave. And I had given him some trail magic and he throws across the waterway as he's getting ready to go. He throws his honey bun. He goes, put it in your pocket. He goes, eat it at lunch. It'll be hot and delicious. Kristen, I don't eat honey buns, but that honey bun was delicious. <laughs> and just as he's turning to walk away, he goes, and he's got some respect for me. And he goes, I have the title of your next book. I said, really, what's that? My name is Nosey. There you go. And I knew in an instant that I would write the book. And I knew what the book was about. And it's been an incredible journey. And this is where I'm like, do you have an editor? Because I need to need an editor. I need some help with this. Um, but it's uh, this book is very powerful in the way of helping you take your gifts and use them, all of them, even the ones that you think are maybe not positive. They are all of us to accept ourselves and to love ourselves as we are so that we can show up fully and do the work we're here to do is really what this book's about. Can't wait to read it. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Again, my love, thank you so much for being open, being fun, having awesome stories and guidance, because I know it comes from truly a, a place of love. We're both trying to help people help themselves, help their organizations, help their teams. And sometimes you need that outside perspective. Uh, I'm a recruiter. I'm not a coach, <laughs> but it is from you know, running some women and being around great folks like yourself that I'm just like, okay, we just have to give these, get their messages out, you know, to more and more people because you're awesome. Dude, you created a tribe of people who feel connected to each other because of you. So I want to just say thank you for that. And thank you for the interview. It was a real joy to be with you. Uh, thank you, Misty. Again, we will be capturing all of the links, resources in the show notes. Again, crew, thanks for hanging along with us today really appreciate you. Thank you for spending your time with us. As always, we hope that you continue to benefit and grow from listening to Diverse Tech Leaders. 
If you'd enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes or whichever platform you're using to listen. You can also get more information at diversetechleaders.com. Stay well.